0: The Lord said unto Moses, "Behold, thy days approach
1: that thou must die." That's pretty terrifying. <laughs> the days are coming; you must die. That's very terrifying. I mean, it's it's like you put those two together; those two passages together, the Deuteronomy thirty-one fourteen and the Numbers twenty-seven twelve through thirteen, and you get this: Step one, you're going to climb up a mountain. Step two, you're going to look all around and see the land. Step three. You're going to die. Right? Very frightening news uh, you, to know exactly what's going to happen. You know, have all those things that, oh, boy, I'm going to you know, start up this mountain, okay, and then I'm going to start climbing the mountain. After that, I'm going to look around. After that, here it comes. You know, when I was a kid, I was terrified of shots, you know. And my father had his obstetrics and gynecolo- gynecology office in the medical arts building at 4955, Van Nuys Boulevard in Sherman Oaks, right next to Van Nuys Hospital that, that doesn't exist today. That's probably a good thing. But anyway, as he was in building one and next door was building two and building two is where the pediatrician was. And, and I knew what it meant when, 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 when my father step one brought me into building two and then step two, we went up the elevator. And then step three, the door opened that made that ding-dong sound when the door opened. And step four, there was the smell of alcohol in the air. And step five, my dad took a firm grip on my hand and and led me into the room, which for me was a torture chamber. And, And step six, in comes the sterile white gown doctor with nothing in his hand and that deceitful smile on his face. <laughs> now, by that time, I was under the table and screaming. All right. Oh, yes, that was Tommy. All right. Because the terrifying part of all this was knowing all those steps and what was going to come, the next was going to come the needle in the arm. And, and, and that's the way it was like for Moses is God told him the steps of climbing the mountain and looking all around, and, and then comes death. And, and so that's why God reassured Moses in verse 13 with a very simple word of also. He said in, in number, I'm speaking about Numbers twenty seven thirteen. In Numbers 27, 13, this word also is very reassuring when it says, when thou hast seen it, thou also shall be gathered unto thy people as Aaron thy brother was gathered. See, that's Numbers 27, 13, it's very comforting when God said also, I mean, there was God saying to Moses, don't panic, Moses. You're not the first one to go through death. Others have gone before you, like Aaron. You're just an also. And remember, you're going to be with familiar people. You're, 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 you're going to be with your own brother, Aaron. I mean, he's gone before you. So God told Moses, find comfort. As you approach death, in the thought that Moses, you will be gathered together with Aaron and the rest of your people. How thoughtful, how comforting of God to do that. So when Jacob said, Behold, I die, this is a transition time now for Jacob. Jacob's body is dying, but his soul is surviving. His body is dying, but his soul is surviving. And as Jacob is doing this, what we see him doing is, is what is said in Romans 12:12, 12, 12, Romans 12:12, 12, 12, which says, rejoicing in hope, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. This is what he's doing. So he's on the eve of death. Jacob's on the eve of death here. And it's like Jacob's body has been like a veil that sort of blocked his vision, blocked Jacob's vision of the unseen. I mean, his physical eyes, are, he can't see, he's blind. But now as Jacob's body is fast failing, that flesh that, that is wearing thin, the flesh of the veil that's blocking him from seeing God is wearing thin, and he can now see God, who God is and, and, and how, how, what God is doing and, and, and how he's gonna be with God, and, and he can see that God is gonna fulfill his promise to bring, to bring Joseph and his people, and Jacob's people, into the land of Canaan. So what we see in Jacob is a, is a picture of a glorious way that the child of God dies. You know, we, in San Diego, sunrise is beautiful, it is. But it's really not as beautiful as sunset. Sunset is more beautiful because that's a very special beauty in sunset when the light is broken up into all these beautiful colors as it sets. And what we see here is the sunset of Jacob's life. Very special beauty is emerging here as he's sinking below the horizon. And, and it, Jacob is sinking below the horizon. A, and this is so different from those who have lived their lives without God. I mean, they live their lives without God. They don't know anything about God as their friend. They don't have friendship with God. They don't have God as their helper. They live their, 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 their lives just trying to extract happiness and soul satisfaction from the world, which was never designed to give it to them. And what's the result of their their lives have been year after year, especially as they're getting older, frustrations and disappointments, and 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 death for them is a result to just end it all, just end it all. I mean, death for them is the final and ultimate disappointment and frustration. So different from what we see here in Jacob, so different from Paul, at the end of his life in Second Timothy four Second Timothy four six, where Paul said, "I'm ready." Now to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, shall give to me at that day. But not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. And as Paul said, Paul said in Philippians one twenty one, Philippians one twenty one, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To benefit. And what we see here is Jacob dying, and we're seeing how Jacob is, 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 it's interesting as we see him dying because he is suffering an experience of death, coming death, dying. He is suffering an experience, a dying experience that everyone will ex- experience. Everyone will experience death. But he has the privilege, he has the privilege to experience what few experience God with few experience. I mean, he's come to where we will all come. No matter how straight and tall Jacob stood in the past, Jacob is now bent over. No matter how strong Jacob had been to lift off that rock off the well, Jacob is now weak. No matter how healthy Jacob had been, Jacob is now sick. No matter how active Jacob had been in the past, Jacob is now bedridden. No matter how well Jacob saw in the past, he's blind. And no matter how dark his hair was in the past, his hair is now gray. In fact, it was gray before this in Genesis 43, 38, Genesis 43, 38, when he said, then shall you bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to the grave. So Jacob has come where everybody's gonna come to this point of death. His blindness in this chapter, is he's so blind, it's comical. It's comical because hes, he's it starts off, he's talking about Manasseh and Ephraim and how he's gonna adopt them and he and 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 right in the middle of his talking, he said, "Hey, who are those people?" <laughs> and he, and it's, yeah. Well, those are the ones you've been talking about. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, Jacob's like Mr. Magoo, you know. You, you tell young to remember Mr. Goo? No, you remember. Yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. So, all right. So, but but Jacob, on the other hand, has come to where few have come. He's come to where few have come. No matter how much Jacob is weak, Jacob is now strong in the Lord. No matter how blind Jacob is, Jacob can now see things that he, God and things about God that he's never seen. No matter how many evil memories Jacob has of the past, Jacob sees the sweet memories of how God Almighty appeared to him, how the angel redeemed him from all the troubles and how God fed him all the days of his life and, and how he had been before the face of God. No matter how bedridden Jacob is, he's soon to be resurrected and freed from that. No matter how sick he is, he's soon to be healthy and free of sickness forever with no sorrow. No matter how much Jacob is dying, he's gonna eat of the tree of life and and, and, and in this state of eternal life. So Jacob is gonna Jacob is gonna rise, but he has already risen in an elevated state of mind. And this elevated state of mind is seen when when Joseph first enters the room, when Joseph first enters the room, and Jacob starts to talk to him in verse three about how God appeared to him. It's interesting. It's interesting that when Jacob first speaks about God, he's really speaking about God taking the initiative, taking the initiative in verse three. He says, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, and that was the darkest time in Jacob's life. I mean, after he had just lied to his father, he tricked his father, he stole the birthright from his brother, he was running away from his brother who was trying to kill him, that's when God took the initiative to find Jacob. That's when God took the initiative in our lives, not after we cleaned up our lives, but as it says in Romans 5.8, Romans 5.8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And just as it was with Jacob, God penetrated through the worst times in our lives to save us from our sins. And when Jacob was talking about this, Jacob was not talking about how hard he was looking for God, or how he found God. Jacob was talking about how hard God looked for Jacob, and how God found Jacob, which is just like God is described in Ezekiel 34.11. Ezekiel 34.11, which says, for thus, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I, even I, will both search my sheep and, find, and seek them out. I will search and I will seek them out. The sheep are not looking for God. God is looking for the sheep. And then coming out from the shadows in, in Ezekiel 34, Jehovah Jesus now speaks in Luke fifteen four. Luke fifteen four. what man of you having hunted a sheep? if you lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. He's the one. But it's so interesting about what, what Jacob is saying in this chapter as he's approaching death is he's talking all about God. I mean, God had the first word out of his mouth when Joseph comes in in verse three. And and we saw that, that, that Joseph, when he was asked in verse eight, you know, who these were, he didn't say, well, these are my sons. Oh, no, Joseph says, these are my sons whom God had given to me. You know, and, and when Jacob responds, he doesn't say, well, I never thought I'd see your sons. He doesn't say that. Jacob says, I never thought that God would show me your sons. So Jacob and Joseph here are having this conversation where God is in everything. It's so different from the conversation of the lost, which is in, described in Psalm 10.4. Psalm 10.4 says, the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all their thoughts and when it says, through the pride of his countenance, it means that all the wicked talk about is themselves. And they, and they don't seek God. They don't talk about God because God is not in all their thoughts. Actually, the Hebrew says God is not in any of their thoughts. He's not in any of their thoughts. So then it goes on to say, in verse 20, it goes on to say, he blessed them. Jacob blessed them that day. And you know, it shows when he says that, how it shows the heart desire of the believer. The heart desire for the believer is for his children, even if his children are far from God. Even if a believer's children are far from God, the believer is heartbroken for his children that are far from God, which is what we saw in the case of Abraham. Abraham was heartbroken for Ishmael. He prayed for Ishmael, who was far from God. In Genesis 17, 17, 18, Genesis seventeen eighteen, where Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. That's what we're seeing here is grandpa Jacob is blessing his two grandsons, Manasseh and Ephraim. This is the heart desire of the believer for his children. And so, with the blessing that Abraham is doing here, he's, he's, he's teaching his children look away. Look away from Egypt to Canaan. And that's what parents do. That's what believing parents should do with their children teach their children to look away from the world to God. Parents should not be bringing their kids to Las Vegas. And, and saying, look to the world, but they should be teaching their kids, look on the world that was symbolized as Egypt as their home. And don't do that. Don't look on the world as your home. Don't allow yourself to be incorporated into the Egyptians. Take your lot with the people of God like Moses did. But what you often hear from par- parents, tragically, you often hear stuff like this, you know, oh, I just want my children to have what I didn't have when I was growing up. And so I'm going to work to give them what I didn't have. What do they mean by that? What they mean by that, they should mean that I wasn't a Christian at that time. No, but what they mean by that is I want my children to have money, I want my children to have wealth, I want my children to have worldly success. So the parents work hard to make sure their children have a university degree that will set them off to, in a course in life to have money and wealth and worldly success. But the believer, the believer has a different desire for his children, and his desire is I just want my children to have God in their lives, and I want them to walk with God, and I want them to turn away from the world to God, and I want them to to incorporate themselves into God and not the world. I mean, I remember when Bob and Eleanor Spalding came to speak here at the chapel in 1981. I remember Bob and Eleanor Spalding. It says, boy, oh boy, two of us, three of us. Oh boy, that okay. It was in 1981. It was in 1981. They had been missionaries in Japan. And then in Brazil, and they had a son that was far from God. He was rebellious. I think his name was Stephen, but I can't remember. Anyway, they prayed and prayed for their son. And one day, their son saw a person holding a lug wrench with a flat tire by the side of the road. And the son stopped to help him, and the person took the lug wrench and beat the son almost to death. Just to steal his wallet. And the son lost his eye out of it, but he brought him back to God, he brought him back to God. And I remember Bob standing here in this pulpit, and he was telling us all about what happened with their son. That was about 38 years ago. But I still can hear him so clearly in my mind. Now, as I remember, Bob said these words, I would rather have my children in the graveyard than living for the devil. Boy, that really struck me. But that's the that's that's the heart desire of a believer, of a believing parent. That's what he wants. Now, these words, behold, I die, in verse 21, very disturbing, not only for Jacob, but for Joseph, for Joseph. As Joseph says, you die? How can we ever go on without you, the patriarch? How can we ever go on without your prayers, without your counsel, without your guidance? You can't die. You die? What are we gonna do? You ever felt that way about someone? About someone uh, uh, that, he can't die. I can't go on without that person. But to this, Jacob, he responds, it's all right. God will be with you. God will be with you. That's the answer to all of Joseph's questions. That's the answer to all of our questions of how we're gonna go on without that person. The person dies, but God does not die. The person leaves, but God does not leave. I mean, uh, Fred Locke, started the San Diego Hebrew Mission. Do you remember that, Gene? <laughs> he started the San Diego Hebrew Mission, and it wasn't very long thereafter, Fred died. Fred died. And he started it, and people thought, well, that's the end of the San Diego Hebrew Mission. But then God raised up Jim Mater. You remember him, Gene? <laughs> he raised up Jim Mater. And then Jim died. Well, and then God raised me up to start Israel Restoration Ministries. People thought... When Jim died, well, that's the end of the chapel. But yeah, here we are. See, in all these situations, it's God's presence; it's God's that makes the difference, and that's what Joseph, Jacob, was saying when he said, "God will be with you." Now, then, in verse twenty-one, Jacob is again a prophet. He's an old prophet here as he tells Joseph that not only is God going to be with you, but He's going to bring you out of Egypt into the land. Of your fathers. What a name for Israel. The land of your fathers. So what we see here again is Jacob's being a prophet here. He's pictured what has happened. I mean, it's like a prophetic picture here. When you look at what has happened here, they left Egypt and what will happen to the Jewish people in the land of Israel. I mean, as Jacob and his family were by necessity removed from the land of Israel. So in 70 AD, when Titus came, that the Jewish people were removed by necessity from the land of of Egypt into the great diaspora. And just as Jacob was removed from the land of his fathers, the Jewish people were removed from the land of their fathers. But on May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation and the Jewish people returned to the land of their fathers. But have they really? Have the Jewish people really returned to the land of their fathers? I mean, what is the land of their fathers? The land of their fathers is all the land that God promised to them that he would give them. That's the land of their fathers. And in reality, do you know how much land mass the current state of Israel is compared to all the land that God promised to Israel? Less than 5%. Less than 5%. So they really have not fully returned to the land of their fathers. And when Jacob said in verse 21... God shall be with you and bring you onto the land of your fathers. Jacob was saying, don't get too comfortable down here because when Egypt smiles at you, don't love Egypt. Don't love Egypt because you're gonna leave. When Egypt frowns at you, when Egypt frowns at you, don't fear Egypt because you're gonna leave. You're gonna leave. You're gonna return to the land of your fathers, which has, which is which is only less than 5% fulfilled today. And that's the same word for us. When the world smiles at us, don't love the world, because we're gonna leave the world. And when the world frowns at us, don't fear the world, because we're gonna leave the world. All this is to say, and all, all this is to say, what Jacob was, here, was saying here is that, earth has no future for me. Jacob, in essence, in this chapter is saying, earth has no future for me, heaven has a future for me. So as Jacob in this chapter, his gaze on earth is growing dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, symbolized by his his physical eyesight. Jacob's sight is turned to gaze on heaven, and, and his, his vision is getting better and better and better And as he's now speaking all about God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the grace that you gave to Jacob, the tender way in which you, Lord, uh, held him as he was dying. Thank you, Lord, for the support you gave to Joseph and to the rest of the the people there. And thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we can learn from this
0: chapter in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box seven one one three P.O. Box seven one one three three zero 330 Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at eight hundred two four seven three zero five one. 247 3051
2: Reach Israel. Join Tom Cancer for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration only $99 includes a 2-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cancer, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com deeper in god's word with the friendship with god king james version study bible prepared by tom Cantor. this genuine lambskin large print study bible features the history of israel full color timeline and maps frequently asked questions about the jewish messiah prophecy and fulfillment study hebrew root notations and definitions the life study of joseph and so much more Order your copy today for only $49.95. That's $49.95. And receive a free personal signed copy by Mr. Tom Cantor, along with your name engraved on the cover. To order your Friendship with God Study Bible, call 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or visit us at creationbookstore.com. That's creationbookstore.com.